Thank you, friends, for submitting those photos over the last few weeks and uh, for us having an opportunity to just participate in some of the things that are really cool and taking place in your lives. Welcome to First Christian Church again. For our guests here today, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm very glad you're with us today. We're going to be spending some time looking at the book of Isaiah today, and uh, it's about that far through the Bible, about halfway through. As a matter of fact, there are pew Bibles here in the in this West Auditorium. There are some pew Bibles. So there's some Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. For those of you in the, in the East Auditorium, we're very glad you're with us as well. And there are people coming around now with Bibles. And there are some Bible carts that are moving around the room right now. So if you need a Bible, please, by all means, to those of our congregation in the East Auditorium, we'd be very glad if you'd grab one of those as well. And we're going to read from Isaiah 42 in a few moments. But uh, I need to tell you that uh, it's going to take us a little while to get there yet today. Because I've got, if you will a long preliminary portion of the message today before we get to Isaiah chapter 42, because I want to begin before we get to the portions of Scripture we're going to look at. I want to uh, tell you of a time far removed from our time, when life uh, is not like we know it right now, and maybe you've been watching the culture in this regard and what's coming down the road, uh, in that there, there's a time when cars didn't move on roads, uh, cars don't move on roads like we have them on linear roads. Uh, it's a time when planes don't take off horizontally like we do, or when you know space travel for us is is limited. In the general public, you can't. In our time, you can't go in space travel, and in our time, we know that the internet is only a few decades old, but. This is a time far removed from that that I want you to be aware of, a time when there were two kingdoms and two empires, two distinct populations with two distinct life approaches, and they were about to be at war. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know the story. You can hardly wait for the story, right? It's in a time 2,700 years removed from now. Some 2,700 years ago, the people of Jerusalem were living in great fear as people from Assyria were about to attack. And you all thought I was talking about something altogether different, didn't you? You thought I was going to talk about Star Wars, right? And the upcoming saga of... Um, the uh, movie number seven that's coming our way, well, no, I'm not talking about that. All right, thanks, Tyler. <laughs> I do want to tell you about two kingdoms today, two empires, two distinct peoples with two distinctly different life approaches, and they were about to be at war. It was 2,700 years removed from our time. And yes, they didn't have cars that went on linear roads, and space travel was not for the general public then either. 
This is about the people of Jerusalem versus the people of Assyria. Assyria, some 2,700 years ago, was the precursor to modern-day Iraq and Iran. And as a matter of fact, you're going to see a map on the screen. And Assyria occupied the area shaded in pink or orange, and that's where Iraq, Iran, and some portions of Turkey are today. And they were in struggle, and they were about to invade Israel. What we learned from then is that, frankly, our modern-day struggles in the Middle East, particularly when it comes to the security of Israel, they are not new problems. They are problems that are found throughout all of history. And history's problems continue to be our problems. And the Bible records what happened some 2,700 years ago. Scripture says that a king by the name of Ahaz was in Jerusalem... And as the Assyrians began to grow in influence and military power, he was quite concerned about how this was going to, what was going to take place to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and would Judah be overrun. And so he began to enter into military alliances, political alliances, with nations to the south and to the east, and uh, hoping that their combined military power might be able to stall off or push away the Assyrians altogether and the city would not be trampled. He'd seen the kingdoms to the north. He'd seen them disappear as the Assyrians marched, marched further south. And those kingdoms were swallowed up by the Assyrians. And they were very cruel in their approaches to when they took a nation captive. If you were opposed to the regime in any way, you were literally executed right there on the spot. Anybody who was more docile and didn't, didn't maybe put up quite so much of a fight, if you had any talent, you were removed from your home. You were deported to Nineveh. And there in Nineveh, you would form a cadre of talented slaves from other nations as well as fellow Jews, and you would be slave labor in a variety of different settings. The book of Isaiah that we're going to read from today, it's set in that time period when these two great empires, these two, two distinct groups of people were about to clash. And um, we know when Isaiah was written because in chapter 1, verse 1, as Isaiah begins to write this book, he tells us who, he, who was king while he was there. For example, we see in Isaiah chapter 1, we read this. This vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So at this point, we know when, from, from secular history alone, we know when those kings were in play. And this is a point where, where it happens with great regularity, where, where the scriptural history and the secular history corroborate each other. And so we know that this was a very, very bad time for the people of Jerusalem. The surrounding suburbs around the city and the countryside, they all knew the Assyrians were coming. And so we're going to read from Isaiah 42 in just a few minutes. But before we get there, chapter 7 of Isaiah is going to be on the screen for you gives us a picture of what the time period was like and what these people were worried about. It reads this way in chapter 7. We'll get to 42 in a minute, but beginning in chapter 7. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Razan of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they couldn't overpower it. And now the house of David was told, these people are allied against you. And we saw what we read, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees in the forest are shaken by the wind. They're very desperate in Jerusalem. They knew trouble was brewing. And you could say it was sort of like our present time in some ways. I mean, 
I'm aware our world seems tenuous at best these days. Would that be a good way to put it? Tenuous? We wonder, what's going to happen if terror visits the United States again? We've seen terror visit other Western nations in just recent days. We saw terror visit our own land in September 2001. 3,000 of our people were killed in a horrific ball of fire as steel and glass succumbed to, the, uh, to pilots, to suicide pilots. And we wonder, in light of Paris recently, when the lights of Paris were dimmed, is there more trouble coming? You have that sense, don't you? You wonder about it. Well, for the people of Jerusalem some 2,700 years ago, there was more than just this sense. It was indeed a palpable moment because they'd seen how close and they knew how close the Assyrians were. And they had this sense of evil foreboding that was much stronger than what we face here in central Illinois in November of 2015. Scripture says, describes it this way, their hearts were shaken as the wind shakes trees. In the midst of that, though, God says to Isaiah, you've got a way in which you can quell the riot in people's hearts. You've got a way in which you can bring calm to the situation. God says to Isaiah, I, I'll bring good news from heaven if you'll deliver it. And Isaiah was to go to the king with a divine message. Again, I'm still in chapter, chapter 7, okay? And this is what he was told to say to the king. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, these two nations that are already on the cusp of coming against you, okay, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tobiel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. Now, you'd think that if you had got a word directly from God, directly from heaven, something to this effect where, where the prophet says, you don't need to sweat these people that are coming your way. God's got this up. It's all closed up in a bag. Don't sweat it. It's all taken care of. You'd think you'd calm down and stop fretting, but that's not what happened at all. In fact, Ahaz did just the opposite. He actually said, you know, I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know if I can trust that God's going to care for me. And I really can't believe God's going to come through for me or my nation. And think about that. Despite this really long history of God's care, despite a long review that they could go through of divine protection, how they'd gone from being slaves to being people of freedom, uh, to from going from people who had no land to having a land that was full of milk and honey, namely sustenance and sweetness. Despite a word directly from God saying, from heaven saying, all is well, Ahaz chose a different plan. And the result was this. God's hand of protection and blessing that was over the city, God said, well, if you don't want to listen to my plan and you don't want to live the way I want you to live and you're not going to trust me, if you're not going to believe that I'm, I have the power to protect you, then my hand of protection will be, okay, I won't do it. You don't trust me, so fair enough, I won't do it. Here's the result. As God's plan of protection was no longer in play, trouble came along. And friends, this is the truth. Trouble will always come when you choose a plan contrary to God's plan. And then in light of that, Isaiah now has a new word from heaven, still in chapter 7. I promise you we're going to get to chapter 42. 
Again, it's going to be on the screen. Chapter 7, verse 18, in response to them saying, to the king saying, I'm not interested in your plan, God. In that day, Isaiah says, the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They'll all come and sit on the steep ravines and the crevices in the rocks and in the thorn bushes at all the water holes. And so, in other words, there's going to be a bunch of pests that show up and your, your, your crops are going to be devoured by those pests. But beyond that, there's going to be great shame. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria. The Assyrians are going to come if you're not careful. They're going to shave your head in private parts and cut off your beard also. In that day, a person will keep alive a young cow and two goats. And because of the abundance of milk they give, they'll be curds to eat. So there is some good news that you can, well, you're going to eat curds. Okay, you think, well, that's okay. Well, maybe not so. Because all who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. And that's all there's going to be eat. Because in that day, in every place where there were a thousand vines worth a thousand silver shekels, there'll only be briars and thorns. Hunters will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for the hills, once cultivated by the hoe, you'll no longer go there for fear of the briars and thorns. There will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. You know, they're seeing this very, very real results of Ahaz's unwillingness to trust God. Pests are going to invade the land. And then there's this language which is really graphic. You go, did we just say that in church? Yeah, we just said that in church. The, this business of shaving of the head and genitals and the beard, that was going to be done in public and people were going to be shamed in front of each other. The fields which were, had produced these tremendous crops were no longer going to produce these tremendous crops. And instead of all these vines that produce this glorious wine, the only thing that's going to survive out there are cows. And so the only way you're going to eat then is what you get from cows. You're going to eat a lot of cheese curds and whatever honey you can find. And that's it. There's no more bread. There's no, more, there's no more crops. I point all this out to you as a prelude to Isaiah 42 to say this. This was a key moment in the life of the people of Judah. David's family, namely Ahaz is the king, he, his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather had established the nation of Israel as a people of great might. Some 250, 300 years before, and that family had reigned all that period of time and there would be a few kings that would come after Ahaz that were in the family line. But the family story was frankly going to be mirrored in the nation's story. They would disappear into the sands of exile. They would literally be taken away from Jerusalem. And they would become slaves again. Having said all that, though, now as we turn to Isaiah 42, Isaiah did have a new word. He said, in light of the way how horrible things are going to be because you said, I don't want God's protection. God still has grace. God still has some new ideas and God still has something he wants to bring to you. He wants to bring to you, by the way, a Messiah. And that Messiah is described for us in, in, in Isaiah 42. If you take your Bible then and turn to Isaiah 42 and read along with me, okay? Here's my servant whom I uphold. Isaiah is talking about Jesus. He's talking about, okay, so in the midst of all the crud and all the stuff that's come your way and your lack of sustenance and so forth and so on, I'm going to send somebody who's going who's to provide a new way. That person that's coming is Jesus. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah writes, he's coming. Here's my servant whom I hold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he'll bring justice to the nations. He won't shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. 
A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he won't snuff out. In faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. He won't be faltered or will be discouraged till he establishes, until he establishes just on, justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands have put their hope. And this is what the Lord God says. Who is the Lord God? The creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you, Jesus, in righteousness. I'll take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. And what is Jesus going to do? He's going to open eyes that are blind, free captives from prison, release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, Isaiah says on behalf of God. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place. Life used to be really bad, but new things I'm declaring to you. Before they even spring into being, I announce them to you. Now, friends, here's why I wanted us to review this story today. What we're doing today. We're concluding a series, um, a sermon series on thankfulness. And we've, we've said we've been thankful for a lot of things. We talked last week about being thankful just that Scripture calls us to eat and to enjoy food, and all that's really good. And, I, and I'm glad for all of that. But may I remind you the greatest thing that we're thankful for, what we are most thankful for, is the coming of Jesus Christ. This we must thank God for his gift of Jesus Christ. This Messiah who brings delightful hope to desperate days. Why do we have to do that? Well, because like the people of Jerusalem, we're, we need to know that God is watching over us. The people of Jerusalem, in the midst of their despair, in the midst of not having anything to eat, in the midst of the armies coming against them, they needed to know that even despite the fact that it occurred because of what they had done wrong and what Ahab, the direction Ahaz had led them with moving the protection of God from them, they needed to know that God was watching over the struggle of their lives. We're like that, aren't we? Don't we need to know that God is watching over the struggles of our lives? That just as there was a plan for Judah, that there is a plan also for us. And so starting next week, we'll recognize in a more uh, concrete way, as we move into Advent, this coming, of Jesus, this coming of Jesus into our lives, into this world. But today, as we just kind of give thanks for a lot of good things and conclude this series, we are giving thanks for the coming of Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Well, he came offering some really cool things. According to the passage of Scripture here, he came offering justice and hope. Scripture tells us that he came to open blinds and to free people from the captivity of lousy lives. He came offering freedom from the captivity of troubling times and angry angst and sinful struggles. He came offering a new way of life, a change. You know what, friends? He came as living love personified. And today, you may feel like, man, I really need that. Because you're described in verse 3. Verse 3 describes how some people feel at times. It says, this is something about a smoldering wick. Did you see that? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You may feel like a bruised reed today. A smoldering wick that you, you, can't, keep a flame, you can't keep the flame burning much longer. But did you know with the coming of Jesus Christ... There's good news for you today. See, some here today, you are that smoldering wick. You have some in your family, or maybe it's not about you, but it's your family. You'd say, well, it, that person in my family, there's very little fire left in them. It, it seems like just a small puff of air like that could blow out their ability to bear, their capacity 
to cope. And that's how the people of Jerusalem were living. And they were counting what Isaiah said God's got in mind. In chapter 42, verse 9, where he says, The former things have taken place, and new things I'm declaring. Before they even spring into being, I announce them to you. Jesus came as the Messiah for the people of that city. And we give thanks for that. We also give thanks that now in our day, 2,700 years removed in our time, that same ministry of God through Jesus Christ, through the work of his spirit, that same ministry and care is available to each of us in these rooms today. For those moments when it feels the smoldering wick of your hope is about to go out, Keep burning, friends. Hang on. Keep sending out the light. See, we're even in a better position than the people of Isaiah were some 2,700 years ago. They were hoping for the Messiah, whereas we live on the other side of that. We know the Messiah has come. For us, this is that now about Thanksgiving. Jesus' arrival is not only about a future hope, but a past reality that can lead to a present peace. And I need to tell you, friends, that In this regard, as I've been thinking about this message for some time, I've been pondering about taking a tangent today about this business. I want to go back and just tell you, let you hear this again, this this understanding of where we are today, the Jesus arrival. Can you guys throw that that portion of that, that passage up again or that statement I was about to make? The Jesus arrival is not about a future hope, only about that. That's what the people of Isaiah had. But for us here today, it's a past reality that can lead to a present peace. And I want to take this tangent and kind of bring some peace to some situations and settings in family lives today. Um, I I even approached some staff members about this this week and said, you know, I, I, I want to chat with the congregation about something that's very sensitive. But I want to be careful that I not come off as sensationalistic. But in in comparison to that, have a, a time of a pastoral moment with the people called First Christian Church. So um, in your program today, you may have noticed there's a blank colored card. I want to tell you why it's there. And as you find that, let me start uh, why that card is there with a story that some of you have heard me tell before. In 1983, Leslie and I were working in Europe and... Um, my boss was um, in Tulsa, and so we would have these phone calls back and forth a couple times a week. Um, this was in the days before email and so forth and so on, and so, sometimes even um, on uh, teletype machines back and forth. I just, I'm, I'm really old. <laughs> and uh, we'd get on the phone now and then, and he'd ask what was going on, and I'd respond and so forth and so on. And um, his name was Don Moen. Some of you may know Don's name. A uh, man of some renown in our nation in terms of uh, Christian music. And uh, Don had, and Laura had been married for 11 years at that point. And uh, they'd never had any children. I'd never asked why. It was uh, like none of my business on the one hand. You know, he's my friend. He's my boss. We're doing life together. And he would come over here, to, oh, come over to Britain. I'd go over to the U.S. and we'd go back and forth. And... Um, uh, But I had this something down deep inside my gut that I was to pray that Don and Laura would have a baby. Now, that's rather, you know, it's kind of arrogant of me to pray that sort of thing, isn't it? But I thought, you know, in the right, this is something that God had birthed within me. And so I approached some people I was working with. We were all followers of Jesus Christ and said, 
hey, on Thursdays, uh, for the next three months at that time, I said, I'm going to pray, I'm going to skip lunch, and if you'd like to join me, I'd like to fast that Don and Laura would have a baby. Well, we won't tell them, we'll just do that. I mean, that's pretty bold. And about two months in, we were in a little town in England called Tamworth. It's about 20, 30 miles outside of Birmingham. And uh, we're setting up to do a concert that night, and a phone call came into the office of this building we're in, and they, they come in, somebody by the name of Wayne Kent here, yeah, that's me. There's somebody by the name of Don Moan on the phone who wants to talk to you. So I go pick up the phone. I'm, I'm used to this, that Don's going to call me in these venues around the country or whatever. And um, <laughs> there's some conversation. Wayne, you're never going to guess what's, go- what's happened. He said, I said, what? Laura's pregnant. I go, <laughs> we find, kind of figured she would be soon. <laughs> they had baby number one. Then they had baby number two. Baby number three came so quickly, actually delivered that baby on the bathroom floor in the master bedroom. Baby number four came, baby number five came. And after five babies, I said to Dawn, I said, Dawn, you know, how many more are you planning to have? He said, Wayne, having learned that we've been praying for him for those months and that he and Lord had this first baby, a little girl, um, he said, when you guys prayed and fasted so hard for us to have babies, I was a little, we're a little afraid to turn off the tap. In the last couple months, those babies who are now adults have had grandbaby number one and grandbaby number two. And I feel a little bit of responsibility for that in some ways. (laughs) Since then, I've had, uh, over the years, a number of couples come into my office in these very private, intimate, pastoral moments. And they've acknowledged, hey, we've been married for a number of years and we're struggling with becoming pregnant. And... um, They felt like bruised reeds. They feel like candles where the flame is about to burn out. And in prayer, we've seen some really cool results. We have babies in our nursery today, today, that have come as a result of those prayers. And we, they come from, they come along from time to time. And I always get to celebrate those births privately because that's pastoral information that's not appropriate to share with the congregation. We celebrate a lot of births around here. But I'm, and I'm very glad to do that, but I'm also aware that the news of each pregnancy and each birth is sometimes a strong wind over the smoldering wick of some couple's hopes. And you go, Wayne, how are you getting any of this out of Isaiah 42? I mean, this is about a nation at war. This is a nation needing a Messiah. Well, this, this conversation I'm having with you today, friends, is really about Jesus, absolutely. Because may I remind you that Jesus came to change bad circumstances to new days. Isaiah 42, verse 9. See, the former things have taken place, yes, but there's some new things I declare. And before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So here's what I'd like us to do today. There are all kinds of needs within lives of families. And so if you have a need within the family life that you know of, or maybe it's you yourself personally, you say, I'd like somebody to pray about this. You can write that need on that card, and here's what Leslie and I are going to do throughout the month of December on Thursdays. We're going to be in this room doing lunch hour, and we're going to pray for the needs of families. Now, I want you to, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write that need. You can be cryptic. You can be anonymous. You can put the name down. Write on that card and get it to me. I'll be in the lobby between services. Just get it to me, or give it to a staff member. They'll get it to me. I'll be the only one who reads them, and Leslie and I will pray over them. 
This is not a time for you to say, I need you to pray for my grandmother's big toe. I know your grandmother's big toe needs some help. I'll be glad to pray about that. But specifically when it comes to these cards, do you get what I mean? I want us to pray that families who are having struggle, maybe in marriages, maybe in relationships, and particularly in the area of infertility, I'd like us to pray. Fold them, put my name on it, it'll get to me. And only I'll see it. And I'm praying specifically that in 9 to 12 months from now, there'll be a flurry of activity in maternity wards in this city. Won't that be fun? Won't that be fun? Celebrating the lives of babies that are born into the life of this congregation. I want you to write this down, church. Write it down that we're going to have a new class of newborns. Write it down now. In November of 2015, we're going to have a new class of newborns in a year from now or less than that. Coming as blessings from God. And some of you go, well, Wayne, that's really nice. But this, this is a sermon about thankfulness and Jesus. Then how does that relate to infertility? Well, we thank God that Jesus came to meet the needs of the people in, in Scripture, right? The people of Judah needed to know that the threat of the Assyrians was going to be dealt with. And in the midst of despair, the Jerusalemites hoped for a Savior. That Savior came and God said, new things are coming. And they couldn't even begin to plan for it all. Jesus came into the lives of the people of Jerusalem, and he talked to individuals, and he met individuals' needs. And that was God's plan. And I believe if if we're going to follow in that plan, and if we're going to follow in the ministry of Jesus, then we need to be the tangible touch of Jesus in people's lives. We need to speak into people's lives and say, new things are coming, and before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And we need to announce the care in the, li- the care of Jesus, if you will, in the lives of people who need new things. And there are some in this setting today. You need to know of new things. New babies, yes, but new life, new ideas, new approaches, new, ho- new hope. Because as I said already, Jesus' arrival, from our perspective, is not only about a future hope, but it's a past event. It's something that's already occurred. It's a reality of the past that can lead to present peace. And for that, we give thanks. For that, we give thanks. And I want you to see, if you'll look again, actually, the text is going to be on the screen. Look at how the people of Isaiah's time were to respond to this great news of this cool thing that's about to happen. In verse 10 of chapter 42, in light of this Messiah coming, or in light of the Messiah who has come, the people were instructed to sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea, then and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to praise God. Let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy, and let them shout from the mountaintops. What should they do? Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Here's what I'd like to know, friends. I'd like to know that within families today, within your heart today, regardless of your family setting, I'd like to know that a song has been birthed in your heart. And I want you to notice this praise, that the thanksgiving is to cover the earth, is to go from the ends to the earth, across the seas, to the islands, to the mountaintops. They need to shout it from the mountains. All the poor and powerless, all the people who don't have the resources of Isaiah, they had nothing. And Isaiah says, go ahead and sing for the cool things that are coming your way. And so with that in mind, I invite you to stand together. Let's pray. And then the worship team is coming right now, and they're going to lead us to shout it from the mountaintops. Let's stand together, please, and let's pray.
Father God in heaven, I pray for people in this room today. Lord, you're aware of individual needs. You're aware of uh, people and settings that, that they just feel like, I have no hope in this this small wick that I have is about to be blown, blown away and the fire is going to go out. Lord, increase your fire, increase your life within somebody in this room, Lord, or in the rooms uh, that are watching this via video, God. I pray that people's hearts, my heart, God, I pray my heart would be reminded again of your intent that I'm going to live in a present peace. And despite the situations around, despite how tenuous life might be, Lord, I'm going to rely on you. And, and as I do that, I'm going to experience new life. And Lord, we pray there would even be new babies that come out of this. There would be new marriages and new, new, new relationships of, that are vital and whole and healthy. And we are going to sing your praise from the mountaintops today. We declare your glory in Jesus' name.